Welcome to HR Tech Demystified, a podcast hosted by Hannah Jacob and Zang Kaptaskin. It aims to simplify the concepts behind HR technology, giving you more confidence to decide which technology tools are right for you and your people. Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of HR Tech Demystified. We're so excited to be here, and we really hope you enjoy it. I'm Hannah Jacob, Research Director at MHR. I'm Zach Aftaskin, Chief Architect. And combined, we have 30 years' experience working in tech roles in different sectors, and we have spent over 16 years combined in HR tech. So in our very first episode, we kick off with a topic that both Zan and I find fascinating. Something that you'll probably have heard of a lot about recently, and perhaps something that confuses you too. We're talking about the misleading and intimidating algorithms. Algorithms are filtering into our day-to-day lives. They control what adverts we see and what TV shows get recommended to us. They are increasingly reporting on in the press and how they have affected people's lives in different ways. They are often depicted as big bad algorithms and quite rightly so as we'll see. Some examples seem to be harmless, but others can have life-changing consequences. Hannah, so I've got a great case study for us today to discuss. There's been a company in the US who's been using a personality trait test algorithm to actually screen the candidates so they can speed up the whole process. And this algorithm looks for certain characteristics and you get rejected based on those or approved. To make things worse, same software has been used across different companies in a region. So these poor candidates have been applying for these different jobs have been are being rejected for the jobs. That's kind of a, the dark side of some of these algorithms. Now, what's really interesting is the fact that with the personality tests, there's still a big debate around how good they are and actually if they work. They haven't been proven scientifically. So if you bear that in mind, it's a little bit like being judged for a job based on your zodiac sign. <laughs> so imagine, um, I, I have in my mind that I'm only going to hire um, Libras or Leos. Hannah, are you no, one of those? No, I'll be rejected, <laughs> I think. Oh, no. Well, there you go. So <laughs> that's not great. But actually, <laughs> while I was doing some research as well for, for this podcast, I found that there are some companies in Europe that have been using Zodiac signs to no. actually hire people. Yeah, believe it or not. That's true. So <laughs> it's pretty scary. So based on that, the big question is for today, how do we get here and what can we do in HR tech space to prove the situation? After all, HR is where we need diversity and fairness the most. Definitely, and those are really big questions. I really hope that we explore and at least um, start to understand as we, as we go through the podcast. Um, we're going to start first, though, um, right back to basics. And we're going to talk about what actually an algorithm is and, and, the, and the types of algorithms you, you might come across. So I would say an algorithm is just a, a sequence of instructions really. So it could be perhaps rules or decisions that are just applied in, in an order. So in that sense, a cake recipe you, you could say is an algorithm. The word algorithm though is normally reserved for the world of computer science and the instructions are more like logical or mathematical steps um, applied in the actual software code itself. 
And when we think about algorithms, we've, we've decided there's, there's two types, there's two main types that we want to talk about today. One of them is rules-based algorithms, and the other type is optimization algorithms. So just thinking about rules-based algorithms first, you can imagine, a, well, the cake recipe example, for example, is a rules-based one because that is literally the, the rules um, applied in the order. So in the HR world, you, you would class your formula for calculating holiday entitlement to be a rules-based algorithm because it takes on the inputs um, that you would normally need to, to calculate this. And there might be some decisions in there, like if you add on entitlement based on length of service, that kind of thing. But all the time, all, all of these rules are really clear, very easy to understand, easy for somebody to do themselves sort of manually. And um, there's obviously more complex examples of rules-based algorithms too, um, like the calculations you have in payroll. Now, this, this is a good thing, because all of, the, all of these things you, you don't necessarily want to do manually all the time. I think absolutely. So the rule-based algorithms are all about automating tasks that yeah. we normally manually do. Like your payroll, like you were saying, absolutely, you don't want to be doing payroll manually. No, not you know, every month. <laughs> absolutely not. Um, and the other one, Hannah, you mentioned was the optimization algorithm. So. For that, that one's a bit more complex, but we can really simplify it down. When you use your GPS, you're using an optimization algorithm. GPS essentially does a search for you for best route. When you get GPS up and running, you put in your location you want to go to, uh, you give your preferences, so maybe you want to avoid certain routes, maybe you don't like someone, so you want to avoid the area. <laughs> um, but also, the GPS takes into account things like traffic conditions, road conditions, and also manufacturers' own buyers, as in what they believe is the best way to get somewhere. Years ago, we all heard, heard on the radio these Tom, the TomTom Tom doing advert about, we'll get you there quickly, or something like that. It's because these companies tend to provide put a lot of data into their GPS apps, and they use certain algorithms and certain biases in there that they believe work to get you somewhere quicker. So the really cool thing about these kind of algorithms around optimization is that they search for so many routes. They look for all possible um, different motorways, uh, A roads, and they find the one that gets you there the quickest. And that's what algorithms around optimization really care about the most. They care about how quickly they can get you there because that's what the authors of these algorithms decided is so important, mm -hmm. is to how fast I can get you to a certain location. So when we think about optimization algorithm, if we now go back to what we started this um, episode with, which was this whole personality trait test, um, that's very much is an optimization algorithm. Someone out there uh, does some research and has trained this algorithm to classify you as an introvert or extrovert or other characteristics, whatever they decided to put in there. It's very much an optimization type of algorithm. Mm. So I think this is a good place to discuss why do we need these algorithms? Why are we here? I think the main reason why algorithms exist, going back to the rules-based ones in particular, is that they do 
increase efficiency, they, they, they speed up processes. And I think in the payroll example, when, when you're talking about payroll calculations, you, you want um, a computer to do the work for you. Um, and aside from the um, efficiency and reducing human error, you actually, there's a, a, a different side to it where you actually trust that it, it will do the right thing, it will produce the right results, it will be accurate, and you don't need to check it all the time. And I think that's really important that you, that you trust the algorithm um, is doing its job properly. Obviously, that's where in the recruitment example, it, it had a job to do and it was doing it quite well, but obviously the, the actual consequences of it um, were not at all the right ones. Hannah, I'll dispute if it was doing very well, the algorithm. Well, well it was doing what it was told. <laughs> it was doing what it was told, that's for sure. But <laughs> the, the consequences were, were absolutely awful. But absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what we need to avoid. <laughs> okay, so I think around the optimization algorithm as well, I think they have a massive rise recently. Uh, with the compute power, with computers getting more powerful, we can now do a lot more calculations on computers to search for different things. Um, so I think, Hannah, you mentioned during one of our chats that uh, shift allocation is the one where they use optimization algorithms. Can you tell me more about that? So, Definitely, yes. Mm. The, the example here is a really nice one because in the recruitment screening one, you can see obviously where, where it's gone wrong, where the bias has crept in and where it, it shouldn't really be doing what, what, what it's done. With the optimization of shift allocation, so this is where you, you, you give people shifts for the week at a timetable of work, um, you can imagine that that's less controversial because um, it's just fitting people in, in boxes and, and, and adhering to the, you know, the rules that are needed. Now, this, this kind of task is actually quite complex. So when you're doing it manually, it's very time consuming. You've got to think about the employee working patterns. You've got to think about absences, the shift requirements, that kind of thing. So you can imagine layer, layer upon layer of these requirements that they, um, the, the task becomes really, really complex. So you definitely want to automate this one up. Absolutely. Um, I remember watching a Netflix show about Bill Gates. I think it was called Inside Bill Gates' Mind or something. And I remember seeing a really good scene there when a 14 to 15 year old Bill was working the whole summer, um, not actually the whole summer, but a lot of it anyway, figuring out how to write a scheduling algorithm for classes so they can, uh, the school can actually automate the scheduling of when classes start, how long the breaks are, who should be in what classroom. And they really struggled with that because, first of all, they were so young, <laughs> right? It's, it's a complicated algorithm, but also the task itself is quite quite challenging. Um, so I think beyond that as well, the, the algorithms can consider so many more different things. Like mm -hmm. with GPS algor algorithm, for example, it considers, considers so many more routes than you would as a human. Same thing with scheduling. You'll consider scenarios of putting certain students in certain classes that you wouldn't even think about because maybe you have a bias towards someone mm. and you want them to have a certain uh, kind of a day. Yeah. Imagine you're a mother uh, of your son and you are designing this, you maybe you put some bias into that schedule where an algorithm wouldn't have that. You would just look at the data and search for the optimal um, classroom allocations that are fair for everyone and it would stop and decide that this particular version of it is the best. Yeah. 
can I pick up on the fairness of, of the algorithm? So in 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 looking at an algorithm from both sides sides whether it's fairer to do it manually or fairer to do it um it, with an algorithm i think there's there's so much need to take into account yeah as you say you, you could as a human um, build in the bias so you could imagine um managers having their favorites and giving them the best shifts for example um on the other hand though you can imagine whilst it does look like a very clean cut easy um, easy to get um, right, um, as in you know, not 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 have bias or um, unfairness. Um, you could also think about the human elements that the algorithm wouldn't wouldn't be able to know. So it wouldn't know who works best well with who, who might struggle on particular days, you know, to get childcare, that kind of thing. And I think sometimes the algorithms really miss that human element, and but that's really hard to build in. So there's there's definitely two sides to the the bias story that that need to be considered. Absolutely, you know when you have to design these algorithms, you have to think about the in a shift allocation example, you've got to think about what kind of searching it needs to do and put it in and then test it. But how can you test something when you you wanted to tell you the answer? So it does become quite complicated. Absolutely. Um, so I think this nicely segues us onto the idea of bias and what can we do around bias now. When we go back to the example we started with as a case study about this personality test, I hope we can all agree that judging someone based on certain characteristics from personality test might not be the best thing. So what can we do to make the situation better and remove some of these biases from our software? I think there's a lot we can do and I think it's going back to the question of what, what problems are we trying to solve. Hmm. So um, thinking of an example which I think is such a neat, really simple example of um, recruitment, going to think back to the 70s, all orchestras were really male dominated and they, they wanted to do something about it. So instead of positively discriminating um, so that so that um, women could join in the orchestra, what they actually did was in the auditions, they just put a sheet up so that they couldn't see who was auditioning. And the whole audition was based on their performance and obviously the, the skills they had to do the job. And um, although this is a, a really difficult to transfer to perhaps other industries, you can see the creativity there in, in terms of trying to do the right thing, you know, to, to um, increase the fairness in that, that recruitment. I think what strikes me there, Hannah, is the fact that they're clearly <coughs> caring about, the algorithm there is caring about how well you do as a musician mm. and not about potentially an arbitrary thing about you. Um, so not your zodiac sign. <laughs> so um, I think this, this this example here, this case study, was judging someone based on something that someone believes mm. does um, does well in the job, right? So if you're an introvert, maybe you're a, you're amazing on a cash register, uh, or vice versa, right? I think the key thing there is the fact that they do judge you based on how good are your job. So for example, I know it's probably not feasible, but when you do test someone, uh, actually giving them an online exercise, if it's for a shop, uh, give them a, a stock room to organize, sort, and stock, stock up some shelves, for example, virtually, for example, um, mm. or um, create a model site where they come in and just try stuff out like that. So you can actually see people doing the, the work. Um, one of the things as well I've been seeing, there's been a big rise in HR tech space, 
video interviewing, automated yeah. video interviewing. So you, you get prompted with questions, you get recorded, and then someone on the other side makes a decision. That's better, right? Because someone's actually a human, there's a human in the loop that looks at you and makes a decision. Definitely. Definitely. Mm. I think that's where this problem hasn't obviously been solved fully mm. because it's such a complicated problem. You, you not only want to see how people do on, on the, uh, how they are in, in the skills and how they perform in the job, but you also want to see the soft skills, so how they are as a person, their attitude. And, um, and, and yeah, that, that's, that's where all of these algorithms will fail and, and we need to have a, a better... Um, more creative way to try and solve these things. Absolutely, Hannah. It is a really hard problem. Um, and the thing is, optimization algorithms, what makes them quite, quite tricky uh, to engineer and program is the fact that you have to make an assumption that certain things that you're optimizing works and it gives you the best results. And those assumptions are very hard to verify and test. Yeah, yeah. The, the next thing I think we should tackle then is what are we doing about it? So what, what, what are we doing in industry? And what can you do as a HR um, professional? What can you do to make sure that these, these algorithms um, are doing the best job they can? I think there's a lot we can do. So as HR tech creators ourselves, we need to hold ourselves to account. So we need to make sure when we're designing the systems, especially when we're testing them, that that we really try and explore the problem as best as you know as, as deeply as we can. So ideally, algorithms within HR tech will help you improve um, the processes you run. So in HR and payroll, make you more efficient, aid your decision making, but take making sure they don't take away the human element and I think that's quite key actually aiding your decision making not making decisions on on your behalf and I think as a rule of thumb the rules-based algorithms um, especially when they're governed by legislation or industry standard that's when you could be much more confident that they'll they'll do the job that they're supposed to do without these um, these other consequences that we've been talking about on the other hand optimization algorithms this is where you need to be much more careful and skeptical about how to use them and when to use them and what not to use and I think as a HR tech consumer the best thing you can do is to ask lots of questions find out how the software creator actually decided what to use how they um, tested it, what, what data did they, did they feed into their algorithm to actually under, understand the problem and then, and then come up with their solution. Absolutely Hannah, I think at this point as well I want to stress the, that when we mention optimization algorithms the, the, going to be test, someone's going to be testing the, the search part of it, so what preferences you're putting in, what are they biasing you with, because somebody is putting some preferences assumptions into it when it comes to searching the route for you in GPS or searching for the best candidates is doing some kind of a search there based on some preference. It's really key to someone, you discuss that and you challenge that. Mm -hmm. But also the, on the other side as well, optimization algorithms, there's the training ones, the ones that train some historical data. And you gotta again challenge the, that the historical data is actually correct and is diverse enough mm -hmm. uh, for different scenarios that you gotta consider. Otherwise it will optimize the wrong thing. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And this is where you need to have the confidence, I think, in your domain experience and and just being um, the, in the role you are. You, you certainly have that edge on, on software vendors. You, you know people day to day and you, you should be able to trust your own um, experience and critical thinking there to, to make sure you, you understand um, what you might be bringing to your workforce. Should we move on to thinking about the future? Absolutely, let's do it. Okay, so I think it's clear that HR tech algorithms are here to stay. And although we've, we've, we've painted this really bleak picture um, in some way, I think we genuinely believe that over time, software vendors will develop algorithms that will go on to improve your work life and, and those of um, the people who, who work in your organisation. We do think, however, that some of these will cause controversy, like the examples we've seen. And the way to make sure we don't let that happen is with the challenging them, basically. Frameworks are currently being developed to help you assess as a HR tech creator if, if your algorithms are ethical. And I think over time the legislation will catch up. It's not, it's not there yet. But there is a responsibility there for HR tech creators to make, sh- you know, make sure that they, they do follow these guidelines, at least to try and get them out of any um, corners they shouldn't be going down. But in the meantime, you as a HR tech consumer, you also have a part to play. And that's where we talked about them sort of not accepting them at face value and also questioning how they're created. I want to mention as well that this area is only increasing investment in the future mm. as well because the optimization algorithms are very much touching upon some of the AI topics in industry and it's yeah. getting a huge amount of investment. So definitely here to stay. And if we do it right, if we all stay prudent and if we all challenge the companies and keep them in check, like you said, Hannah, then we can live in society where we have a much fairer scheduling uh, of shift allocation. <laughs> much fairer recruitment process that's not based on your zodiac sign mm. um, and just generally much more diverse so i think this is a great time for a recap i know han and i both like structure <laughs> so we'll want to finish up with a nice uh, conclusion nice recap of everything we discussed today so there are two types of algorithms rule-based and optimization-based rule-based optim- uh, algorithms follow a logical set of instructions just like a recipe they can be super simple, like a recipe, or very complicated, like your payroll. Normally, they're powered by legislation, industry best practice, internal company policy, or software vendors' IP. Now, optimization algorithms, on the other hand, are normally used to automate decisions. For example, which route you should take to work. These algorithms are powered either by historical data, where something has happened previously, or by certain preferences built into it so it searches for different scenarios for you we need algorithms as they automate tasks that humans take way too long to do or even can't do during time constraints like scheduling shifts or running your payroll really quickly algorithms can go wrong when they make decisions based on biased preferences or biased training data this is normally because wrong assumptions have been made or training data is too narrow Remember, 
We started this episode with someone being rejected or proved by their personality traits. If you notice that your company is or is about to buy a software that has optimization algorithms, get curious, find out how much you can about these algorithms, how they work behind the scenes, challenge the assumptions and get to know it. Remember, you are the domain expert, so use your human intuition to understand how they work. Don't get intimidated. We're relying on you to challenge this space because we need more diversity and fairness in the HR tech space. Thanks, Anne. I think that's a great place now to finish the conversation. So we hopefully have covered enough for you to now get a better understanding of what algorithms are and why you should care about them. And I think more importantly, hopefully you've taken away some advice on how to navigate HR tech that uses these algorithms without being overwhelmed or misled. So thanks again. I hope you found it useful. If you have any topics that you would like us to cover in our upcoming episodes, just send us an email to info at mhrglobal.com and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of HR Tech Demystified. If you haven't already, please hit the subscribe button so every new episode of the podcast can be delivered straight to you. And if you like the podcast, please remember to leave us a rating or review. It really helps. Thanks again and see you soon.